nothing's changing. We're going to be going forward with our current events, but they are subject to change depending on how things progress. So the first announcement I got is that not this upcoming Thursday, but the following Thursday, that is March 26th, the Women's Bible Study is starting a new series called Guardrails, and I'm not sure who is it by? And, and Andy Stanley. All right, cool. So, uh, ladies, uh, you are obviously invited to that. There will be no in-between break because there was an earlier break, so it's going just straight through. Uh, after that, I need to tell you that we still are planning the egg hunt, and that will be on April 4th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., uh, we do have invitational cards to give them out out in the foyer or the office. You can see myself or Alex if you would like them to give and invite your friends. Um, you know, again, we're still planning on having it. We don't really know, not sure what's going to happen. I can tell you definitely something that's going to happen is we're definitely going to have our Good Friday and Easter Sunday services. Um, we're going to have that no matter what and hope to see you guys there. <laughs> because uh, we have to celebrate the reason for this season. Um, and uh, no, that is actually it. So I'm going to pray for the offering real quick, and then Dave is going to come up here and pray, <laughs> as well as read some scripture for us. And dearly Father, <clears throat> we thank you that you are a holy and a sovereign God who is in control of everything. Um, we thank you uh, for those who you have brought here and those who are joining us um, through the interwebs, and I pray that you <clears throat> find, that they find this service as well as uh, the sermon uh, edifying and the message that you want for them to hear. God, I pray that you uh, bless this offering with what you have given us. We give back to you, and that you work your <clears throat> wondrous ways through this church and what we give back and our services and all in between. So these things we pray in your holy name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you all stand with me while we read from the word of God? We'll be reading from Exodus 3, starting in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, have appeared to me, saying, I have observed what you and what has been done uh, to you in Israel. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jesubites a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice.
So uh, we're a small crowd. I actually had planned on some audience participation this morning, so, uh, so the onus is on all of you. You may have been relying on other people to do this, but this morning it's on you because you're who's in the room. Uh, so I want to hear from you the best excuses that you have ever heard for something. So uh, I'll, have, I'll have some to share in just a second, but I want to hear the best excuses that you have ever heard for a reason to, to not do something or not get something done. Uh, so whatever you got, if you're watching from the live stream, I probably may never say this again, but if you're watching at home from the live stream, uh, you can talk about it at home if you have somebody there, there with you. But uh, what are the best excuses that you have ever heard? Uh, make sure whatever you can make up a, an excuse. That's what we do anyway. My mom went blind in her left eye. Oh, that that that's real. That actually happened to you this week. Okay, all right. That might be a good excuse. I don't know. <laughs> that might be justifiable. All right. Uh, other excuses that you've heard before. The dog ate it. Yes, that's a common one, right? Why isn't your homework done? Well. That's, that's true. See, now I, I have a hard time believing whether or not. <laughs> no, okay, so the dog, the dog ate the homework. That's good. That's a normal one. Uh, here's one for not coming into work. I ate too much birthday cake last night. That's, yeah, yeah, that's not good. Yeah, my llama is sick. Uh, yeah, my llama is sick. I can't make it in today. My llama is sick. Some of these, uh, my cat has hiccups. Um, I can't make it in today. Um, how about, uh, I forgot to come back to work after lunch. So, <laughs> uh, this is a good one. Uh, I got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store, and so I, could, I couldn't make it back. So here's, here's one that a lot of people are using today because they're not here with us, social distancing, right? And that's like, so that's a, that's a legitimate excuse today, social distancing, but just wait, give it a few months, and it will become an excuse that people reach for to find a reason not to show up to things. Uh, I have one, so uh, I was uh, in high school, I played football in high school, I did not love football practice, especially later in the season. It got monotonous, it got boring, I did not enjoy it. And uh, one day I was sitting in class um, before, you know, before football practice happens and I'm working on a project and I was just being, I don't know, dumb, I don't, I don't know. But I scratched my eyeball with my pencil. Um, so it hurt a little bit, it hurt a little bit. I, I didn't have to miss practice for it, but I had, I, so I was like, oh, you know, here's an opportunity. I can go to the doctor. I can get this checked out. And so I went to the doctor, got it checked out. The doctor confirmed, yes, you scratch your eyeball. There's not much we can do except wait for it to heal and all this stuff. And then I went to practice and I went out to my coach and I said, coach, sorry, I'm late. I'm like showed up for the last 30 minutes of practice or something like that. And uh, coach, sorry, I'm late. I scratched my eyeball. And this is what my coach said to me. He's like, it's a long way from your heart. Like, oh, okay. So he saw underneath the excuse, right? And there are reasons why we come up with excuses. So, so psychologists, they place excuses in the self-handicapping category. So uh, excuses serve as a distraction of sorts for us that prevents us from achieving certain tasks. So, uh, so what they do is they stem from a deeper unconscious desire to protect ourselves from the emotions of shame or anxiety. So, because when, when you have to tell somebody, oh, I'm not gonna do that thing, 
simply because I don't want to do it. Well, there's a little bit of shame attached to that idea of saying I don't want to do it. And so we reach for excuses to find ways to protect ourselves. So like, why did you get a bad score in that class that you took? Well, immediately shame and anxiety kick in because you got a bad score. And so you want to protect yourself from being attacked or being uh, somebody thinking badly of you. And so you make up excuses like that test was unfair or I was sick or the weather was nice outside and I couldn't focus. Like Whatever it might be, you come up with these excuses to, to come up with a reason. So like uh, crossroads, you know, we have these kids, we play games. I have the third and fourth grade boys. Every week we play games. Some of my boys are on the losing team and some of my boys are on the winning team. And every single week, the boys who are on the losing team have 15 excuses for why their team lost. It wasn't fair. The rules weren't followed right. Uh, they cheated, all of this stuff, but nobody ever just wants to own. Yeah, hey, my team lost because we didn't do as good of a job as the other team. Nobody wants to say that. So this is, this is how excuses work. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we're in Exodus 3.13, and we have a massive chunk of scripture to cover. We're from 3.13 all the way to 4.17 this morning, and we'll be moving through it kind of quickly. Um, but today we're looking at Moses, and Moses has a number of excuses because God is calling him to something. We saw that last week. God put this sort of impossible task in front of Moses, and Moses has to decide, you know, I, am I going to move forward with God? Am I actually going to obey the call that God has given me? And, and this call, we understand, this is Moses is going to be an ambassador. He's going to go to the people of Israel. He's going to go to Pharaoh, and he is going to tell them who God is and what God has come to do. And so Moses, we actually saw Moses' very first excuse last week because he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God said, hey Moses, wrong question, I'll go with you. It doesn't matter who you are, I'm going to go with you. And so we're going to see uh, four more excuses this morning that Moses makes. And each time God responds graciously to his excuses. So, um, so let's look at those excuses. Number one, excuse number one is this. I don't have the authority. Excuse number one is I don't have the authority. So uh, verse 13 says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So I want you to see two things about Moses, where he's at right now. Moses is really comfortable. The life that he lives in Midian is a really nice life. He has his family. He has his father-in-law's flocks that he takes care of. He has a very easy-going life. Things are very comfortable for him. And number two, he is very fearful of his past. Like the thing that he did was so awful in Egypt that it has haunted him for all these years and now he is being asked to go dig back into that thing, to go confront the very thing. Like have you ever had like a moment in your life where, where there was something so anxiety inducing, uh, some problem that was so big that it set like a rock in your stomach for weeks um, that you felt like you couldn't eat in the midst of these situations. That kind, this is the kind of thing that Moses went through. This was like a, a traumatic experience for him and now he's being asked to go back and confront that. The, his whole life he has been really comfortable getting away from that thing. And so, uh, so he's comfortable and he's fearful and God is calling him to go to the Hebrew people and be a deliverer for them. So this is a problem because Moses, when he went to his people before and tried to be a deliverer, they didn't accept him. They wouldn't have him. They said, uh, who, are, who made you a prince and a king over us? 
But Moses instead, what he, and so after that moment, he left Egypt, he went out, he abandoned both his Egyptian identity and his Hebrew identity, and he took ownership of this Midianite identity. He's now the son of a Midianite priest. And so to the Hebrews, he's, what he's thinking is not only did they not accept me then, but if I go to them now, they're going to look at me and they're going to think, well, who are you? You're just the son of a Midianite priest. Why, why should we listen to you? And so Moses has a concern. They're not going to know who you are. I don't know who you are. And how, can I, how am I going to be able to help them see the difference? And so if I come to them and say, hey, you know, I'm on a mission from God. Uh, they're going to go, well, which God? You're the son of a Midianite priest, which means you come from all the Midianite gods. Uh, There are a bunch of gods here in Egypt. Yeah, we have a God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we don't really even understand fully who he is. There's, and so, so Moses is concerned, hey, I don't have any authority in my history because I don't, uh, I, I abandoned my Hebrew bloodline. I abandoned the Egyptian sort of authority that I had. I left all of these things And so for all they know, I'm going to be confusing you for some other God. I have no authority to attach myself. So what am I going to say about you? Who are you? So verse 14, God said this to Moses. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So here for the first time in all of scripture, God identifies himself to his people with a name. So what's in a name? What is important about a name? A name provides meaning and significance. A name provides meaning and significance. So when parents name their kids, so like uh, Andrea and I, we have decided that we are going to do all A names for our kids because uh, we both share A names. And so that'll be like a cool little thing. There'll be a little bit of family attachment. We call ourselves the A team. Uh, So there's like, there's some meaning and significance there with that system of naming. And this is parents, when they name their kids, uh, you know, everybody asks, oh, hey, what's your name? What does your name mean? What uh, intention did your parents have with that? You think of somebody, when they name their company, they're trying to think of a way, like if you want to start a business and you come up, like coming up with a name for your company is one of the most important things that you can do because you're trying to determine how you'll tell everybody else the meaning and significance of your company. Think of Adam, when he, God told Adam to name the animals, what he was telling Adam was, Adam, I want you to give meaning and significance to these different things in creation. I want you to designate for them. Even, so even the gods of Moses' day, Midianite gods, Egyptian gods, whatever they might be, they had names, and those names uh, were attached to their meaning and significance. The thing, so you had the god of the Nile. His meaning and significance is defined by the fact that he is the god of the Nile. That, like, that's the domain. And so Moses is asking God, hey God, where do you get your meaning and significance from? How, how am I going to help them to identify you? And God says, wrong question, Moses. See, because and this is the pattern that God has. Like Moses asks a question and, and God doesn't really answer Moses' question. He provides a different answer because the first thing that God says is not a name, but a statement. He's clarifying something for Moses. So when Moses says, hey, what do I call you? Where do you get your meaning and significance from? God says, I am who I am. So he's not naming himself in this moment. He's making a statement to Moses. This is what he's saying. He's saying, Moses, I am self-defining. 
I am self-referencing. I'm the only being in existence that doesn't derive my meaning and significance from some other thing, but I am actually the foundation of everything else's meaning and significance. So this is what you'll call me, Moses. Moses, you can't define me, you can't put me in a box, you can't uh, tell me that I derive my meaning from something else, so this is what you're gonna call me. Moses, you're gonna tell them I am sent to you. So I want you to watch for this when you read your Bibles. Um, when you see the Lord, the, yes, the Lord, in capital letters like this, when you read your Bibles, when you read the Old Testament, uh, L-O-R-D in capital letters, that is the way that um, translators will designate the divine name. So, uh, so in Hebrew, this is what it looks like. Uh, it, that's uh, yod He. Vav, hey, that's the Hebrew letters, but this is uh, the way that kind of loosely looks in our, um, you know, if we were to transliterate it, it's uh, Y-H-W-H. Um, so we might say that Yahweh, some people say it Jehovah. It's really hard. We actually don't know what the exact pronunciation of this name is because Jewish people for centuries would not say the name. And so the pronunciation of the name disappeared over, over the course of time. So now all we have is just the consonants. And, and so we can kind of infer, like, what is the best way to say it? But there, there are a bunch of different ways to say it. What's important, though, is that we recognize that this is the divine name in Scripture. So when we see capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, it's the divine name. And this is, every time we see that, it is God specifically identifying himself in Scripture over against all of the other gods that might exist. So when we see that, it's like God saying, I am. I am the foundation of every piece of the universe. When we see that name specifically identified, it's like God saying, I am the only one who is self-existent and self-authorizing and self-defining. I am the being from whom all other beings get their meaning and significance. So every time the divine name is used in scripture, it might be Yahweh or the Lord or Jehovah, whatever you wanna use for that, but it's a reminder of the authority and position that the God of the Bible holds over every other thing. So then in the New Testament, when Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the living water. Like all of these things that Jesus says, he is uh, he's making a statement about his identity in association with the God who has revealed himself over against every other God of the universe. So in John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to the Pharisees and he wants to let them know something. Before Abraham was, I am. He is making a declarative statement about who he is, that he is the God of the Bible revealed now in history. And so the Pharisees didn't like that very much, and they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So Jesus, he explicitly identifies himself as the I am, the I am who appeared in Moses, or appeared in the bush to Moses. And God's response, so Moses has this excuse, God, I don't have anything to tell them. I don't know how to identify you apart from the other gods. Well, God actually responds to Moses' excuse by giving him a name. So then verse 15 goes on and says this. 
It says, God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So this name, it would be significant to Israel. It would actually be how they would start to name their kids. So you uh, come across names in scripture like Joshua, or uh, you might hear it said Yeshua. That's the same name as Jesus later on in scripture. And it, and it literally means Yahweh saves. Elijah means this. It means my God is Yahweh. Uh, Uzziah, King Uzziah, Yahweh is my strength. The prophet Micah is, uh, is actually a question, the name Micah, who is like Yahweh. So God says to Moses, hey, I'm giving you my authority to establish my name with them, and my name will be confirmed even in the ways that they name themselves. Verse 16 goes on and says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So there's a question right now that exists, which is this. What does Moses not see? Because there are a whole lot of things that he can't see right now. He's been in Midian for the last 40 years. He has not seen the oppression of his people. He's just been kind of fat and happy sitting where he's at. And so God lets him know what he's been seeing while Moses has been away. He doesn't see his people's desperation. He doesn't see the intensity of what they're experiencing. But as they have been crying out, He's now going to go to the elders and let them know that I am sees. I am knows, and I am is going to work for them. So verse 17, he says, and I promise. So here God, he, in, in his commitment to make a promise, he is identifying himself as the God who makes and keeps promises. So from this point on in verse 17 through the rest of chapter 3, the only being in all of the universe who is self-identifying, self-defining, self-referencing, he lays out a step-by-step plan for Moses. He explains to Moses exactly how everything is going to work through this process. He puts it in front of Moses and says, hey, here's what's going to happen, and here's what's going to happen next. And so he tells Moses, hey, Moses, you're going to go to the elders. The elders will listen to you. Even though they didn't listen to you before, they will listen to you now. And you and the elders, you're going to make a date with Pharaoh, and you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, I am has sent us here, uh, and he has met with us, so please let us go out into the desert so that we can make sacrifices. And Pharaoh's going to say no. And then I have a whole lot of really good things planned for Pharaoh. Pharaoh will not agree. I've planned quite the show for him. And so uh, you're going to go back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh will let you go after all of the things that I bring against him. So Moses' excuse to God is, hey, God, I don't have the authority. But here's God's response to Moses. Moses, I have authority over everything. In fact, here's the plan that I'm going to carry out. So go. Another way to say this is like this. I've given you all that you need, no excuses. I've given you all you need, no excuses. So, So you know what's super interesting as Christians, as believers in God, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, which means we actually have 
more authority contained in us than in the Old Testament saints. And not only that, we have the whole entire testimony of Scripture on top of that. Like, we have all of these resources given to us, and so the question of our authority, how do we walk into the world, how do we share these things? Well, we've been confirmed of the greatest truth, and not only that, but it's all been solidified by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Like, we have more authority than than any other character in the Bible pre-Jesus, right? And, like, so we get to we get to carry all of these things with us this is where we get the idea like he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world like when we walk to people and we we can confidently tell them that there is a God who does hold the whole world in his hands that even in the midst of the fears and concerns regarding disease the coronavirus the quick spread of things all of this stuff that we can we actually have the authority we can stand firm on the reality that the I am of the universe the only self-defining self-referencing uh, character being in all of existence he's got this he knows what he's doing so we have that authority to carry with us So Moses, he's not satisfied with that. He doesn't love that answer. And so what Moses does is he reaches for another excuse. So at the beginning of chapter four, this is what we see. Excuse number two, I don't have the cred. So 4.1 says this. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. So Moses is afraid, and this is what's happening. His fear is causing him to doubt God. Because I don't want you to miss, so, so I am, the only self-defining being in all of the universe has come to Moses. He's appeared to Moses through miracles, through this burning bush, and he's speaking to Moses out of it, and he told Moses already, they will believe you. You're going to go to them, and they will believe you. And you see that in 3.18. It says, and they will listen to your voice, Moses. And so Moses said, behold, God, self-defying being in all the universe, they won't believe me. You don't know what you're talking about. Like if I were God in this moment, I'd feel within my rights to maybe smite Moses for what he just said because he said the words that you spoke to me are not true. They won't believe me. But God doesn't respond that way. (laughs) Um, God typically doesn't respond the way that we would in these situations, interestingly enough. So, uh, so he comes down to Moses' level and he sees where Moses is coming from. He sees kind of what's inside of his excuse. And so this is what he says. We're gonna move through everything that Moses prov- or God provides for Moses. So verse two, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, hey, throw the staff on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So then verse 6, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then uh, verse seven, then God said to him, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he would put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe this latter sign. And so verse nine, if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become 
blood on the dry ground. So God has now equipped Moses with three different means by which he can prove that God is working into this situation. Like, that's what God is doing. Moses is afraid that his message, he's like, I'm gonna go and they're not gonna believe that I met with you. He's afraid that his message can't be validated. And so, um, so he's like, hey, you know, I might say your name, but how are they gonna really know that it's you? And so God says to Moses, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna give you the ability to perform these small miracles. Each of these miracles is a sign to the Hebrew people of God's power over against all of the Egyptian gods. So when the snake, uh, the snake turns, uh, it goes on the ground, uh, the, the staff, you throw it on the ground, it turns into a snake, that is, um, that is a reference to an Egyptian god over whom God has power. And so Moses' ability to do that miracle, it's gonna show the Hebrew people that this God is more powerful than that Egyptian God. And then the, the, leprous, the leprous hand, when he reaches his hand inside his cloak and he pulls it out. So uh, this people's main interaction with gods in the day was for the healing of disease. Um, they, uh, they would make sacrifices to God so that their diseases could be healed. And even like when these diseases would get healed, what would happen is it would take a very long time. No, nobody approached a God and made a sacrifice to that God and saw the disease healed instantly. But for Moses to reach his hand inside his cloak, come out leprous, put it back in, and it's fine, that is quite the miracle. Uh, it shows that God has a quicker and more authoritative power over disease than any other God that they have yet encountered. And then uh, the Nile, turning the Nile water into blood. That is, that, there's a Nile God. There's a God over the Nile. So God is showing the Hebrew people, hey, he's more strong, uh, or he's stronger than even the God of the Nile. And on top of that, he's not just stronger than the God of the Nile, he's stronger than all of Egypt's economy because Egypt's economy is entirely based on the effectiveness of that river. And so through all of those miracles, God says, hey, I'm gonna show my power over these gods. So God's response to Moses' excuse is this. You can show them my power, so go. Or, Moses, I've given all you need, no excuses. So, uh, so what does that mean for us? Well, um, here's the amazing thing. It's the same God then that we serve now, and uh, we have the ability to go to people and ask them, hey, can I pray for you? Is there something that I can be praying for you for? You know, because the God that we serve actually has the, he answers prayer. He actually works through prayer. And uh, how amazing would it be if like Christians just started stepping out in faith and just started regularly asking their neighbors, hey, I wanna be praying for you regularly so that you might be able to see God work in your life. So not only that, so not, that, that's not the only realm or the only means by which our neighbors can start to see God's power revealed, but, but here's another one. We point them to the resurrection. All the time, we point them to the resurrection. That, like, that is God's power revealed in one moment in history. For all of history, it stands there at this moment for all of us to look on and go, God knew what he was doing. He, God always keeps his promises. God confirms that he actually has the power to deal with the deepest and darkest things that stand against us. So, so pray for them and point them to the resurrection. All right, Moses has been given a name. He's been given a plan. He's been given the ability to perform miracles, and so Moses should be happy, but he's not. It's still not enough. 
So excuse number three, I wouldn't know what to say. So Exodus 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses says, hey, I don't speak good. I don't, I, I don't use my language the right way. I don't know, I don't trust my words. I don't have the stream of consciousness that I need to be able to have the conversation with these people. And hey, guess what, God? I've proven that in this conversation. From the time you started talking to me until right now, I've proven that I don't have the words. And so now you're gonna expect me to go and like speak the right words to these people? Uh, so does anybody associate with Moses in this? I mean, I get it. I get not knowing the right thing to say. How often do we say that when we interact with people? Like, yeah, I wanna have a conversation with my coworker. I wanna reach out to that friend who I know is hurting, but I, like, I'm worried I wouldn't know what to say. You know, I'm not a persuader. I'm not a motivator. I'm not a, an inspirer. I'm just me. And this talking thing doesn't always work out well for me sometimes. You know, but God uses words to tell his story. So verse 11 says this. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord, Yahweh? 12, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Like, okay, so Moses has miracles. Like, he has, he has things that are impossible, and he's worried about, like, not having the right words. And God's saying, listen, I, like, I am, did you forget who I am? I'm the God who made your mouth. I'm the God who created communication to exist between people. I give people voices. I even create the thought processes that produce the words that come out of your mouth. It's all me, and I'm going with you. So Moses, would you just trust me? I'll be with your mouth not just with you. So any, like, i starting to see in the story, you start to see like a little bit of God's frustration because his answers get shorter and shorter and shorter with Moses. So he says, now, therefore, go. Listen, I've got this. Just go. So God's response is, Moses, I am the God who made words. I'll give you the right words to say. Just go. Or, I've given all you need, no excuses. So you know what, Christian? You don't need a theology degree to talk to people about Jesus. You don't need a ton of Bible training to talk to people about Jesus. You have something that nobody else has. In fact, you have your story, the ways that Jesus has worked in your life. That is a story that nobody else can tell for you. You have the way that Jesus drew you to faith. That is a story that nobody else told, uh, can tell for you. You've believed the gospel. Why did you believe the gospel? What was compelling to you about the gospel? That's that reason, that's a reason that nobody else can share with other people. That's something that only you have to share with other people. How has God showed up in your life? That's something that only you can share with other people. How is the gospel life changing? Like the point is open your mouth just to start talking about these things. Like you worry like, oh, I don't know how to have all the right words or I can't answer all the questions. Like don't let that stand in your way because you have a story and that story in and of itself, if Jesus has drawn you to himself, then your story is compelling because he's drawn you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Okay, excuse number four. Finally, we dig down. Moses says, I just don't want to. 13, he said, oh, my Lord, 
please send someone else. So, uh, you know, a potentially better response in this situation might be, hey God, I don't want to, but you're pretty powerful, and so I'm gonna trust you and do it anyway. But Moses says, hey, please, which uh, the word please is not accurate in this situation. Uh, Literally, the idea that we get is Moses is wanting to avoid this call with the same intensity that the Hebrews are crying out to God from the land of Egypt. The same level of intensity that they are entreating God to save them, Moses is entreating God not to send him. It's not quite a command saying, God, don't send me, but it is, uh, it's, it's, it's edging near a demand upon God. It edges near a demand upon God. God says, please send someone else. So, so you drill down below all of the excuses because God has addressed every single excuse for Moses. He's, he set all of them aside, and so what do you discover beneath all of the excuses? You discover an unwilling, fearful, comfortable, apathetic heart. And it's revealed here in this moment. Moses' heart is laid bare before himself and before God, even if he didn't realize it before, and he finally just says, listen, I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. You gotta look at all, like every single one of God's responses to Moses up to this point has been incredibly gracious. Look at all of the promises that God has given Moses of what he's gonna do and how he's gonna use him. The I am of the universe, the one who is only self-defining and self-referencing, he has solved every single piece of this beforehand and he has told Moses exactly how it's gonna work out. But Moses doesn't want to trust him because Moses likes his comfort more. So at the end of the day, I wonder if an idol of comfort and ease is not at the root of the reasons that we choose not to step out and reach out to our neighbors and share the gospel with people and just do the things that Jesus calls us to do. If it's not simply that we're comfortable with the way things are. Maybe, maybe there's a command out there for you to, to stop doing something. You know that God is calling you to stop doing something. There's a place of obedience that he's calling into. He says stop doing something. Or maybe he's putting a command on you that you need to start giving more or maybe even start giving beyond what's comfortable for you. Maybe, maybe he's telling you clearly, hey, you need to start, you need to reach out and connect with a certain neighbor. Maybe he's saying, hey, you know what? You need to find a place to start serving in the church. I don't know what that is. And it, and it may not be easy for you to step into that thing, but God is not interested in you remaining comfortable. He's interested in you doing the thing that he's called you to do. So verse 14. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. So God is very patient up to this point. It's like if you read the words literally, what they're saying is God, God's nose filled with fire. Uh, kind of like a, a dragon who gets like angry and then like, so, like fire starts to, to, to fill up in this situation. We see that God is very frustrated with Moses. His anger is heated up against Moses. And so uh, he said, God's done at this point. He said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. 
He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth, and uh, you shall be as God to him. So you're gonna speak to him my words, and then Moses will speak for you. I just need you to go. So take in your hand this staff, this thing that I'm giving you my authority. This will be able to do the signs. You'll go and do the signs that I'm telling you. you speak your words to Aaron, and, uh, and I'll solve all of this. So God's response, finally, at, at the end of all of this, is Moses, just go. I've given you every single thing that you need. You have no excuses. Okay, so what? So what? So here's a problem. Because uh, we don't have like an exact plan laid out for us like Moses. Like we don't know exactly like the, the spaces and times and places where God is gonna show up and do something specific. And so we don't always know exactly what even our calling is supposed to look like or the thing that we're supposed to do for God. And so I just like, I wanna encourage you. I, I hear these words from the book of Ephesians. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, 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 Paul's saying, here, here's your calling. Here's what simple obedience looks like. So just find a place to obey. Another way to say it is like this. Just do something. Number one, just do something. You know what? There are lots of places you could start. Maybe it's just carry an attitude of submission more in your workplace. Maybe it's uh, just bite your tongue uh, when you're getting ready to let some things go from your mouth that shouldn't go from your mouth. Maybe it's just love your wife. Maybe it's, you know what, just honor your husband. Maybe it's just use the name of Jesus in a sentence at some point. Maybe, you know, there are, there are a whole lot of things that it could be, but here's the gist. Take the next step of obedience. Just do something. Uh, and then just, here's this insight. Where God calls, God equips where God calls, God equips. God gives us all the tools that we need to walk into the things that he's calling us to. And if you're wondering what he's called you to, just dig into scripture and see like, okay, Lord, what's my next step of obedience? Well, okay, here's something that I can do. So go and do that thing because here's the promise where God calls, God equips. Uh, so what number two? Stop excusing disobedience. So you know what? There are times where we personally, we will let Satan rob us of God's blessing by selling us cheap excuses. Satan will give us all sorts of excuses that we can lay out and come up with all sorts of reasons why we cannot do the thing that we're supposed to do. So you know what? Stop gossiping and stirring up drama. You might say, hey, that's, that's just the way that I am. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit gives you self-control. He equips you with the things that you need. You know what, stop pursuing an addiction, whatever that addiction might be. You might, you might say, hey, I can't live without that thing. It's really hard for me to figure out how to live without that thing. But you know, when I, like, I see there are people who go to rehab who are able to figure it out. So, so go, just do it. Go, like stop excusing your disobedience. Start reading your Bible regularly. You might say something like, hey, I don't have the time to do that. Well, are you able to make time for other non-essential tasks? 
That's like, so, so there are all sorts of things like God, and God's not really interested in our excuses, and every time he's gonna dig down below the excuses, and you might actually arrive at a place uh, as disobedience is working itself out, you might arrive at a place where you say, I just don't want to. Like you, you may finally be willing to admit, hey, I've, I've discovered the problem. The problem is, is that I just don't want to. Well, then scripture is saying, hey, when we run into something that we don't wanna do and God is calling us to do, we do it because we trust him. So if you don't wanna do it, do it anyway because he is good and he is the God over all creation. Um, number three, God has activated us therefore he will equip us so if you're a believer in jesus this morning god has given us responsibilities he has called us all to be a part of his mission of reaching the lost which means that he will give us the tools to partake in this mission second peter 1 3 it says it like this his divine power has granted to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence so, so you do know that God has you where you are for such a time as this. You know, God's plans for you have put your life and the coronavirus and the fear of the people who are around you all together in one space and time. So here are some ideas. Like maybe you quote this verse to just people you come by. God has, has given us a spirit, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. You know, maybe, maybe you dig into God's word and rediscover old passages in light of this current issue. Something like this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. Maybe you take this message of God's power to those who are living in fear. Maybe you live without fear. Maybe you actually like walk to those people and you show them that you are living without fear because you believe in a God who is more powerful than the coronavirus. I don't know why God is allowing fear to spread in the way that it is, but this is what I do know. I know that he is still in control and I know that he is good and I know that he loves us. You know, you may be learning that you can't trust the stock markets or the airlines or yeah, school classroom schedules, or uh, stores to you know, keep their stock of toilet paper. There are a series of things that you cannot trust in this world. But you know what? You can trust I am. So let that be your message to the world. You know, I, I, I know that like the comfort that many of us have worked for, or, uh, some have worked to build for the last 10 years or 20 years or even 30 or 60 years, it seems to be uh, disappearing. And I know like, I know a lot of us don't really wanna be activated for the thing that God is activating us for. But our comfort is not as important as the message that we are called to carry to people who are trapped in fear. So you know what? Like Moses, our message is clear. The gospel of Jesus brings hope to the hopeless and strength to the weary. 
So this is an opportunity God has actually given to us on a silver platter because there is a moment, like we have a moment in history right now where people are frantic and they don't know if anything can be trusted. God, in a way that he has not done in a long time, is disrupting comfort in our country in a massive way and we have an opportunity to step forward and look, uh, show people what it looks like to reveal trust in a God who is powerful. So, we have this, we've been activated when we least expected it, and we are called to be Christians, to be God's people in the midst of this. We are equipped to do it, and we are empowered by God to do it. So I'd encourage you, you know, reach out to a neighbor. Even, even if you are, have to do the whole social distancing thing, even if you feel like you need to stay at home, give somebody a phone call. Reach out to somebody, let them know you're thinking about them, that you care about them, that you want to offer them some kind of hope. But here's the thing, we all have this hope and we have the ability now to share it and make it more impactful in a way that it has never been able to impact people before. Here's the point this morning. God has given us all that we need and we don't have any excuses. So let us start stepping into the things that he's calling us to. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I know that there are people who are suffering and struggling and uh, scared. Um, and in the midst of all of this, you are God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would convince hearts to trust you. Lord, even those who, are, who have been far from you for a long time, as you draw them back, Lord, I've talked to, to several people who have family members and acquaintances who are starting to ask questions that they, never, that they never would have asked before. So Lord, would you, um, would you give us boldness to step into those situations and just tell a story, to share your name, to point people to your resurrection, to point people to your power. Lord, would you equip us with the things that you've called us to? Would you just even give us the boldness to ask somebody, hey, is there a way I can pray for you? Lord, you've given us all of these tools. We have access to the most powerful God in the universe through the blood of Jesus. Lord, may we not take that for granted, but may we actually step out. And then in the midst of it, may we be people who just reflect your glory and your goodness and your greatness to the world. Lord, you have called us and we are so tempted to make excuses. It's so easy to find excuses. We wanna self-protect, we wanna self-justify, but Lord, call us away from our excuses to simple obedience. We ask these things in Jesus' name.